It's so great to see you today here at Edge Church. My sophomore year in high school was highlighted with uh, a gift from my grandfather. He gave me his prized possession. It was his 1978 emerald green Ford Thunderbird. This car was huge. It, it was like one of the biggest cars you've ever seen before. It had a V8 400 engine. I think granddad had a customized engine put into this thing. It was faster than all of my friends' cars. And it was great fun. Um, I'll never forget having the um, stereo system updated. I had a cassette player installed, amen. And I was listening to Bon Jovi and Guns N' Roses and Journey and Run DMC back in the day on my customized cassette player. Well, it was lots of fun. There was only one problem with the Thunderbird. It was an old, old car. And sometimes old cars don't get you very far. I was constantly being stranded all over town. I was stuck. I was stuck. I, I would get stuck at church. I would get stuck at school. I, I would get stuck at a friend's house. I would just get stuck in the wildest, craziest places because in an old car, it's always breaking down. I'll never forget one day I was coming home um, after basketball practice and the car died on one of the entry ramps on one of the major interstates in our city and I made the five o'clock news. And I thought, I'm becoming regionally famous for my car. I would leave early because I never knew if I was going to make it or if I was going to make it on time. And I'm convinced that life is a lot like driving an old car. Sometimes you get stuck. Sometimes you get stuck in places that you didn't expect. Sometimes you get stuck in uh, situations and places in your life that you never anticipated. And the question is, how can we get unstuck from where we are? We've been in a series of messages called Overcomer. And today I want to build on what we've been talking about over the last few weeks. And I want to talk about having an overcoming mentality. Because I'm convinced if we're going to be unstuck, if we're going to get free from where we are and to move to where God wants us to be, we have to change the way that we think. Many times we think about the Christian life just in terms of what we do. But what we do is predetermined by what we think. And if we want to change our actions, we have to change our mentality. You know, thoughts are a powerful thing. They really are. And it's with that in mind that the Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, he said that we ought to meditate on these things. Finally, my brothers and sisters, whatever, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable... If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. In other words, these are the kinds of things that we need to have our mind on. And when our mind is on the right things, it's amazing how the other actions and the other parts of our life seem to fall into the right place. If you look at Numbers chapter 13... Um, I think that we understand why Philippians 4 challenges us to think accordingly or to think properly. Because in Numbers 13, 
the Hebrew people have been liberated from Egypt for four, uh, where they were slaves for 400 years. If you read the book of Exodus, you read about the captivity there in Egypt. Now, I don't know about you, but 400 years is a long time, is it not? I mean, that's a long time. That's like great, 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 great grandma, you know, maybe even beyond that. And the Israelites had, had, they had moved to Egypt and then over the course of time, they had become the slaves of the Egyptians and they worked seven hour days. They worked 12, 14 hour days. They had to make bricks without straw. They were oppressed. They were taken advantage of. They were belittled. They were beaten. Um, when you couldn't work, you were worthless. I mean, it was, this was the worst of all worst types of situations to live in. But God sends a redeemer, his name's Moses, and Moses leads the people of Israel out of Egyptian captivity now to a place called Kadesh. And it's at Kadesh that something miraculous, something powerful happens. The people begin to get ready to go into the land of promise. Now God had promised Abraham many, many, many generations before that one day his descendants would have a special land and the people are right there. They're right on the edge of where God is leading them and what God has been promising the Jewish people for hundreds of years. And they decide to send 12 spies into the land of Canaan to check it out. They do a little reconnaissance. But when the spies come back, they don't say what God had already told them. We can take the land. They say, you know what? The people are too strong. The challenge is too great. We can't do what God has told us we can do. In fact, let's go back to Egypt. It became the battle cry of the people. And as a result, these individuals began to wander in the wilderness for 40 long years. One generation had to die before God allowed them to go into the land of promise because they did not believe that they could accomplish what the Lord had put before them. But there were two spies that brought a minority report. They were named Joshua and Caleb. And Joshua was the successor of Moses, who became the leader of the Israelites. And then this guy Caleb is his sidekick, and two out of the 12 said, we can do it. Now, how many of you know that's not very good odds, right? I mean, it wasn't like 50-50. Half said we can do it, half said, I don't know what the math is on that, but two out of 12 is not very much. That's less than 20%, right? And these only, these, there were two guys that were filled with faith, Joshua, Caleb. I love Caleb because his name means dog. Everybody say dog. Dog, yeah, Caleb, dog. If you have a friend named Caleb, go up to him and say, what's up, dog? And he was snooping around the promised land, getting all of the information about the cities and where they could attack. He was snooping around. I like to say that Caleb was the original Snoop Dogg. Snooping all over the promised land. The original. Caleb. The dog. He brought back some bounty. In fact, if you read in the book of Numbers, they bring back some of the great fruits and vegetables. They want to show the people how, how beautiful and how, how, how fertile and how dynamic the land is. And so 
They brought back bounty from the land. He was Dog the Bounty Hunter, Caleb, snooping around the promised land. So two said we can do it, and ten said we cannot. But there was a mindset that was there. There was a mindset. And I want us to look very quickly today at five mindsets, five ways to develop a positive, godly mindset in our life because what we think about has so much to do with what we become and what we accomplish for God. It's amazing, isn't it, that people can look at the exact same situation and come to two totally different conclusions. I mean, of the 12 spies, they're all seeing the same stuff. And yet two have a totally different opinion from the 10 but they're all looking at the same stuff. People have not changed very much. Have you noticed that in your own life? I mean, people can look at a situation, the exact same situation, and have two totally different interpretations of what needs to happen. We have to choose to believe the minority report sometimes over the majority. But let's look at this mindset that Caleb and Joshua had and that the people struggled with so much. And the first is simply this. Don't overlook the greatness of God. Now, if you're going to get your mind in the place that you're going to be an overcomer and you're going to overcome the adversities before you, you cannot forget about the greatness of God. God is amazing. God is the ace of spades. God is the X factor. Many times we look at a situation in regards to what we can do, but remember this, don't forget about God. Don't leave God out of the equation. Look at these verses here in Numbers 13.1. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan. Look at that. Which I am giving to the Israelites. God said, it's already, I'm, I'm going to give it to you. Come on, guys. But isn't it interesting that God says, I'm going to give it to you, but then he also says, you have to go and take it. Isn't that a beautiful picture of our own spiritual life? I mean, there are things that God says, I'm going to give that to you, but that doesn't mean that you don't have to work hard for them. It doesn't mean that you don't have to do certain things to, to achieve the goals that God's put before you. He says, I'm going to give it to you, but you have to go and take it. And the same is true in our own spiritual lives. I wonder what, what, what situation you're in the middle of right now. God's giving it to you, but at the same time, you have to go in and take it. You have to go take it. Don't overlook the greatness of God. Don't think just about what you can do, but think about what God can do when he is in the mix and in the equation of your situation. See, if you're up against a challenge and you're thinking, well, I can do this and I can do that, you're always going to be limited. That was the problem with the 10 spies. Well, we know what we can do. I mean, think about it. Think about how unqualified the Israelites are. They've been slaves for 400 years for crying out loud. They haven't been trained. They, 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 they don't know. They're not an army. The Israelites have no army. They've been slaves. They've been making bricks. Come on, man. Now we're supposed to be warriors? And look at how big and fortified the cities are and the people are big. Come on. But they forgot about God. They forgot about the Lord. 
They forgot about him. God said, you know what? You guys even wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for me. And you're going to accomplish this great conquest by my power and by my strength. And here's three things that the scriptures tell us about the greatness of God. Number one, God's for me. Romans 8, 31, what then shall we say? If God's for us, who can be against us? I mean, God is for you. How about that? God is in me, Christ in you, the hope of glory, Colossians 1, 27. God is with me, Psalm 118, verse 6. Look at that. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. And we should have great confidence that we can overcome our challenges, not because we are so great, but because we serve a great God. Don't forget about the greatness of God. Get that into your mind. Secondly, the Canaanites were bigger and, and better than the Israelites, but not, without, not with God. Not with God in the picture. Don't let your circumstances define your attitude. Don't let your circumstances define your attitude. Now, it's easy when the deck is stacked against you and the odds are not in your favor and you're facing a challenge to let your attitude be shaped by your circumstances. I feel great one day. I feel depressed and despair the next day. I feel better the next day. I'm so discouraged the next day. And a lot of people live by their emotions. Up and down and up and down and up and down. But the reason that we can be consistent in the way that we feel is because when God is in the equation, our circumstances don't have to define how we feel. We have confidence in God. Your world can be falling apart. You can still have great confidence in the Lord. You can be struggling in, 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 in a tremendous capacity and still have great confidence in the Lord. And that's not hocus pocus stuff. That, that's, that's real stuff. That's real stuff. People who are successful are not necessarily the people who have never had problems. People who do the will of God are people who rise above their challenges even though they are difficult. Don't let your circumstances define your life or your attitude. Now look at this in verse 32. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report and the land that they had explored. And they said, the land we explored devours those living in it and all the people we saw are of great size. I mean, wow, the land is going to devour us. I mean, come on, spies. Like, can it get any worse than that? You know, sometimes when you meditate on a problem, that problem grows and grows, at least in your mind, right? Bigger, 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 bigger. It's like these 10 spies had talked amongst each other so much that the problem got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And we can't do what God said because we'll be devoured. The land will devour us, will eat us. We're too small, we're too insignificant. The people are too big. If the people were small, maybe we would have a chance. I tend to think that this is not so much about the size of people. Because had the people been smaller, if everybody had been the size of Bruno Mars, I think they still would have had reason to not go forward. 
Because there's this kind of capacity in all of our minds to find the excuses. If it's not the size of the people, then it's the fortification of the city. And if it's not the fortification of the city, then it's we don't have the training and the background and the weaponry. And there's, listen, there's always a reason to not do the will of God. There's always a reason to be cynical. There's always a reason to be skeptical. If you're going to rise above that and move beyond that, you have to remember how great God really is. Everybody has hardships that they go through. And we can't let those hardships define us. We tend to think, well, if one thing could change, then I would be able to fill in the blank. If I just wasn't married to this person, my life would be so much better. If I just didn't have this boss, if I just had a little bit more money, if my kids would just stop doing this, if my friends would just do a little more of that, there's always a reason to not do the will of God. And the spies felt small. Have you ever felt small before? They said, the people are too big, we feel small. Sometimes I feel small. We're celebrating our 10-year anniversary next weekend here at Edge Church. It's going to be fantastic. Part of our journey is feeling small. We were meeting at the elementary school a few years ago, and God began to put on my heart that we needed to have our own building. And I started doing some research, and I started asking a little bit more about the churches in the community in the area and who had built a building recently and what that was like. I could only find one church that was a startup church that had built their own building or moved into their own building in the last 10 years before that. Now it's like 15 years. Only one. That's not very good odds. There's a lot of startup churches meeting in schools but there's a big step between being a startup in a school and then getting into your own facility. It's like four or five steps all at one time. I'm telling you, I felt small. But I was reminded we serve a great God. And the reason that we're here today at 19697 East Smoky Hill Road is because we have a great God. We have a great God. God has a way of intervening in circumstances and situations that we don't anticipate. And we're here today. And we give God some big praise on that because, wow, the battle was big. Maybe you feel small. Maybe you feel small in your career, or you feel small in your spiritual life, or you just feel insignificant. You feel small. Listen, don't allow your feelings, your inferiorities, to take your eyes off of the greatness of God. Don't let your circumstances define your attitude. Thirdly, don't let negativity spread. Now, negativity is a contagious disease. I mean, how many of you know this to be true? People love to talk about the bad more than they like to talk about the good. Is that true? I, I pulled the Denver Post this week. I just wanted to see what was going on. 
and I looked at the cover, and I got to tell you, here's what one day's worth of news said on the front, front page. There was a story about a bunch of people that died. There was a natural disaster story. There was a story about people being on strike. There was a story about the economy might turn downward. And then there was another story about how the Broncos are going to have a miserable season and be under 500. Now, the last one may be true. You know, I'm not sure. <laughs> but <laughs> I was like, wow, can I get any more depressed? I mean, you know, can I just look at this anymore? But that's what, that's what people want to read. Think about it. Next time you're at the grocery store and you see the National Enquirer, look over and see if they have a picture of some famous couple that's been happily married for 25 years or if they have another story about somebody, uh, some celebrity that just split with their spouse and they're fighting over their kids and they hate each other. I mean, people will buy the latter. We're kind of addicted to bad news. And bad news spreads quicker and faster than good news. So when the spies got back, I don't know how this worked. I don't know if one of the spies' wives went to Bunko that night and said, guys, we can't do it. I don't know if one of the spies took a secret selfie with a big giant Canaanite in the background and said, look, they're so big, we can't accomplish the task. I don't know if they were at a, a kid's soccer game and the parents begin to tell the other parents, we can't do it. But the negative report began to spread. Biblical scholars believe that the nation of Israel had more than a million people more than a million people involved in the nation. I mean, that's a lot of folks. Ten people set the destiny of more than a million. Can you believe that? Sometimes the majority is wrong. How many of you have ever seen the majority make really dumb mistakes? Just because everybody is saying we should do, that doesn't mean that it's right. we got to look at what God says. Sometimes the minority report can be the truth. We live in a country where everybody talks about the majority. You know, we, well, the majority, the majority, the majority, let's vote, let's vote, all that. Well, the majority is not always right. Sometimes they are, but not always. Just because everybody's saying it doesn't mean that's the truth or that's reality. Don't believe that minority report. And I love Caleb because it says here in verse 30, then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and he said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. He says, listen, enough of the negativity, enough of the criticism, enough of the backbiting, enough of the garbage. We got to stop all that and we got to do what God has called us to do. The people don't listen. They'd already made up their minds. Verse 32, and they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. And they said, the land we explored devours those living in it. And all the people we saw are of great size. Wow. Let's don't take our cues from the crowd. Let's don't let that negativity spread. When we hear a negative report that doesn't line up with the word of God, we need to say, excuse me, I have something to say, and it's the truth, and it's what's right, and it's what's good, because I want to be an overcomer, and I want my mind to be on the things of God, and I want my heart to be on the things of God, not what we can't do, but what we can do. 
So don't let fear distort reality. You know, fear will suck the life out of your faith. In verse 33, he says, we saw the Nephilim there. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked at them the same. These were like some really large people. We're like grasshoppers, man. We're, we're, we're like little bitty we're like little bitty guys. We can't do it. And fear began to set in. And fear distorts reality. Fear distorts reality. Here's a great question. Am I a giant slayer or a grasshopper? How do I see myself? <laughs> you know, when God's on your side, you're a lot bigger than you think you are. And those situations just tend to grow in our mind. Here's the final thing. Don't let your past define your future. Now, this is the kicker right here. Look at verse 3. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and our children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Now, number one, they're throwing Moses under the bus. Moses is the greatest leader that the people of Israel have ever known. I mean, Moses split the Red Sea open. Let's get rid of him, you know? It's crazy. So they turn on Moses, and then they want to go back to Egypt. Now, time out. People, do you remember the way you were treated in Egypt? It was bad. Working all those hours, no rights, no freedoms, treated like trash. You want to go back to that? Come on, man. Fear distorts reality. But why would they say that? Here's the reason I think that the Israelites thought, let's just go back. Because it's easier to live in the past than it is to live in the future. And that's all they had ever known. Why do people go from marriage to marriage to marriage? Broken relationship to broken relationship. To... For many people, that's all they've ever known. They don't believe they can have a healthy relationship. Why do people, why do people go back to addictions over and over? Is, is it that the addiction is great? No, it's a pattern. And sometimes we get into a negative pattern and we go back to what's comfortable and what we've always known and what our family's always done and what we're comfortable with doing. Even though it's painful and even though it's horrific and even though it's awful, we tend to go back to who we used to be. And the Israelites are willing to go be slaves again rather than move forward in faith and face some adversity. It's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing. Don't let your past define your future. Listen, you may have failed in some relationships before, but that doesn't mean that you have to fail in all of your future relationships. You may have struggled in your career in uh, a previous time. That doesn't mean that you can never find a job that's fulfilling and rewarding. You may have... Um, turned your back on the things of God and left your faith, but that doesn't mean that you can't get yourself up and begin to walk in the Spirit of God and do great things for the Lord. Just because you have walked somewhere in the past doesn't mean that's where you have to be in the present and the future. 
They can all change. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus is that the old person has died and that the new person has been born again. Old things have passed away. All things have become new in Christ. That's the gospel. The gospel is you're a new creation. You're not who you used to be. You're a new person in Christ. You were dead. You were buried with him. You were raised to new life. Do you believe that? If the gospel is true, then there is hope for all. There's hope for all of us that we can rise up and accomplish those things that God has for us. I think that our church needs to begin to think differently as we grow, as we advance, as we advance the mission of Jesus in our community. It's not just who we were, but it's who we're becoming. We have to stretch. We have to advance. We have to grow. We have to move forward. We can't keep doing all the same things we used to do. We got to do some new things sometimes. But we got to change our mindset. Change the way we think. Whenever Egypt is referred to in the Bible, it's always a place of bondage and oppression. Let's don't go back to Egypt. Let's don't go back to the oppressiveness that we used to know. Let's move forward in freedom. And the way that we become overcomers is we change the way that we think. The way that we get unstuck is we begin to change our own mentality. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer?